Welcome to this week's episode of Stories Worth Sharing. I'm your host, Ted Ryan, and today I'm joined with Jackie Davis. Hi. You are an artist, a comic artist, that you have a very successful webcomic strip called Underpants and Overbites. I, I do. Thank you for calling it successful. I would say, I, from maybe an outsider's perspective, oh, it yeah. seems like you're doing well. It feels successful. I just have, uh, uh, it's difficult to get a perspective on myself. How do you view yourself as an artist? What uh, what would you say is your perspective of yourself? Oh, um, well, I'm really proud of myself for making art that feels true to me and telling my story. But I just don't know what it's like to read my stories because I'm the one writing them. Mm-hmm. But I do love when people are like, wow, that really resonated with me. And I'm like, oh, cool. I'll keep doing it. Do you struggle with being vulnerable with such an anonymous audience like you know you put so much of yourself in your work um weirdly i i love being vulnerable with a large audience sometimes it's harder to share a comic with one person in my life than it is to share it with a hundred thousand people and i don't really know why but I usually have, like, an editing process where some people look at my comics and they're like, oh, this looks good. I would tweak this a little bit. But every once in a while, I'm like, I just got to write this comic. And I'm going to show it to everyone before anyone can see it. (laughs) And then hopefully whoever that person is, they saw it. But it's a weird, it's a complicated thing. But it doesn't really, I almost have a compulsion to share. So it doesn't really scare me. It's more freeing than anything. Have you always felt this way, this compulsion to share? Um, no. I think for a long time I didn't really acknowledge that I had feelings, and I <laughs> really tried to just be the funny kid that everyone would love and bullies wouldn't squish. But then in college, my freshman year roommate, she was just bursting with emotions, and I couldn't help but be affected by them. And then we kind of like had a really we've been friends ever since but she was the first one of the first people that was just like I'm so hungry I could die now I'm so full I could die and I was like wow look at all these emotions these are kind of exciting and ever since I've been on a journey of finding them it's kind of vague but also I mean my extended relatives are cool too that didn't you know it's not like I didn't feel until I was 18 but I didn't learn how to share for a long time have you been able to have you used your comics as a sense of mental health? Has have you, have you found that like sharing these things have have you felt like catharsis? Yeah. Yeah, I love sharing them and it's such a it really is like therapy because sometimes my comic self will say that she believes in something before I believe it, but then because she believes it I'm forced to believe it. Like when she says, I'm good enough, and then I watch her saying it, and I'm like, whoa, maybe I am good enough. So it's like she's teaching me all kinds of things, even though I'm creating her. That is beautiful. That is very inspiring, because I I, I feel a similar feeling in my own work when I, you know, it's similarly like convincing myself through Mm -hmm. my work. And I have to be careful, because sometimes she lies to me. You know, she's like, well, this problem's over. And I'm like, cool. And then it comes back and I'm like, hey, 
and you don't want to make a sequel to that comic. <laughs> right. So you speak about how, you know, your art is like therapeutic and it's helped you really, you know, embrace more of yourself. My question is, how did you come to art? I feel like every artist has like a superhero art origin story. What is Ooh. yours? Uh, okay, my art origin story is just that I loved drawing, but I didn't really draw from real life a lot. I just drew cows, but they were like cartoon cows over and over again. I guess they were kind of from life because it's based on these stuffed animals I had, <laughs> but I just drew cows for like 12 years, and they were in static poses, dressed in different outfits, and then they would coincide with, like, written stories about the cows. And there was an evil Lord Moodamort, and <laughs> Buttercup had to... Princess Buttercup had to, like, save the kingdom and stuff like that. But my origin story, I don't think it's really as exciting as other people's origin stories because I wasn't that talented or the best in my class or obsessed with comics. I just drew cows and then played with cows <laughs> And sometimes put a blanket on my cows because they were cold. And then I would be cold when I slept because the cows were under my blanket without me. <laughs> but, I mean, one influence is my mom. She went to art school. So I always had this idea of, like, you could be an artist. She wasn't really a practicing artist. She mostly worked as my mom and then had different side jobs. Right. But was, like, busy raising kids. So she didn't pursue her art career but like I think in my mind I was like mother I will be the artist you weren't and then I told her one time and she was like oh that's nice but you know I, I never really you know art never really did it for me and I was like what I've crafted my identity around like fulfilling your dream and she's like okay you know you, you want to grill cheese I was like this is devastating but yeah I just kept drawing and I did, weirdly, I wanted to be a cartoonist when I was, like, six, and then I just forgot about that for a really long time. In high school, I took a couple art classes, but I wasn't an art kid. I really didn't have a super strong sense of self. I was just this kid in the suburbs. I didn't feel like an art kid, but I didn't really know what kind of kid I was. But I always kept making art, so I think... That's really helpful. But I think some people, they are born with this passion that's like, I will become Spider-Man's greatest artist. And I just was like, I want to draw potatoes. And mm -hmm. people were like, okay, that's weird. But I hadn't discovered comics until well after undergrad, even though I went to art school. I was aware of them. I'd read a few, but they just didn't do it for me. But all this time, I was like drawing my own funny universes and writing in a diary, and then I think I read my first autobiographical comic at, like, 25, and then I was like, oh, my gosh. The door this, to this new world was open to you. This is everything. Yeah, because you get to create your own tiny universe, but you get to tell your story, and I started journaling and sketching, and then it all, like, I love stories, I love people, all of it just, like, smushed together in my brain, but I hadn't really found it. But I'm just glad I didn't stop, even though I wasn't getting a lot of praise for my work. I think one of the best things about your work is that it feels so personal. And I think that comes through in the art. Like, I feel like 
sometimes I see comics where it feels like they're meant for certain audiences. And I think mm. it like your comic is you. Yeah. Well, and I, I think the more I think about my personality, the more this comic makes sense. Like I am very weak when it comes to historical reference. I have no pop cultural knowledge. <laughs> I I use pretty simple words when I talk and all of those things fit into the comic and like like it's almost the comic is like almost bad. Like it's almost cheesy, it's almost dorky, but I think that's what makes it so good is that it's willing to like go right up against you know, it's like oh this potato is like wearing underpants like how is this making a 47-year-old man cry. Like, I, I don't know. I think maybe because of what, one reason why it works is that I feel like there's a sense of, like, confidence mm. in your work. Like, I think, like, the potato people, like, I think because you put so much of yourself in it and I think because you have this, I don't know if I'm out of oh, the line no, in saying this, but, me. like, I think you know what you want to say and how you want to say it and there's just a strong vision behind it yeah that's I mean that's really nice to hear and also like I care about it so much yes. like I think that's part of it and I'm, I'm not I'm not trying to like insult myself and be like these are all the things it's missing you know and it's not culturally like it doesn't fit into 2020 because it doesn't have memes or whatever I'm saying like it is it's like myself on paper and a lot of it is kind of dorky and simple and but I think you're right in saying that I know what I'm trying to say. And also when I make it, it just makes me so happy. And I would like, I would wrestle, you know, a bear to the death <laughs> for my comics. Like, because I think some creators create work for, to get it to turn into a movie or right. for other purposes, which is cool. You know, like there's a whole industry around lots of creative work. But mine is like, I don't know. I hope to do this forever, like, because it's like I'm drawing myself a friend. Right. And I think that's just, it captures, like, a universality that, like, a large audience can connect to because you don't need this background of intent or purpose or cultural references and memes and stuff like that. Like, I, I think everyone can put themselves in those potato people. Yeah, I think my comics are... I bet a lot of people don't even realize they're reading comics right. when they read my comics because I, I don't think they're, you know, they're comics for people that aren't really into fandoms. And, I mean, if you're into those, you these are accessible too, but there's, like, a very low buy-in, mm -hmm. which is, like, the story's right there. It's in four panels. You don't really need context. And that, that I guess, reflects on who I am as a person because I'll be like, what is, you know, what are we talking about here? Who's that that actor that looks like that other actor? And people are like, <laughs> oh, Jackie, like, you don't know these details. But I think it's what's missing that makes the story so clear. Definitely. There's there's nothing to cut. It's all there. Mm -hmm. And it's, there's nothing that's like, you need to be this type of person to understand this. It's like, you just need to be a person. Right. And that's a pretty reasonable entry point into someone's work. <laughs> Your comic tackles a lot of heavy feelings, and you put a lot of yourself into it. However, you have a large, fairly anonymous following. 
How do you deal with negativity and criticism on the internet? Mm. Honestly, I don't get that much criticism. And I don't want to jinx, my, jinx myself by being like, where, where are the trolls at? Come on. <laughs> but I think my comic reads so much like a story from a single person that people, I don't know what the theory is, but they seem hesitant to try to hurt me because they think they know that there's a person behind it that's writing it. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if I'm just in like some magical insulated part of the internet and I haven't tapped into its seedy underbelly yet that will then you know burrow into my soul and insult me until I curl up in a ball but I think I'm pretty resilient to criticism because I already criticize myself so much in my own head I think a lot of that comes out in my work and so people can see that and I think they respect the honesty and the vulnerability of it. Mm-hmm. That, like, there's nothing to criticize because I'm not trying to really protect anything. I'm not trying to be a different person. I think a lot of criticism comes from like, oh, this this person thinks they're so cool. I'm gonna like insult them, and then my whole thing is like, I don't think I'm cool. <laughs> I'm, I'm just a dork with a pencil. So, I don't know. This is kind of like a roundabout answer, but. Another way I deal with criticism is just accepting that not everyone's going to like me. And that's taken a really long time. Mm-hmm. And also just thinking about the people that do like me and how much their opinions matter. But as I make this comic, I've just been on this real journey of like believing in myself. So even if the troll army does descend upon me, hopefully, <laughs> I, I have grown enough to see the strong person that I am. And I think, you know, I I bring that up because I think it's very disheartening to people new entering the industry because, you know, when you're starting out, you know, I think it's easy for a lot of people to be dissuaded. And I know a lot of people that have graduated and they have experienced that negativity and they kind of falter a bit. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, it's it's terrible to see but go on but what what would you do you have any advice for people starting out or if you could tell say something to yourself maybe five to ten years younger in your career oh that's a good way to put it um i mean i had this thought recently you know and actually ted sometimes i do think about giving advice to a different person because it's so hard to give it to myself but i i try to separate myself and be like wow if Jackie 2.0 had experienced (laughs) this terrible thing, what would I say to her instead of what I'm saying to myself? But I had this thought recently that was like, I beat myself up so much for failing while a lot of other people, they don't care that they didn't even try. And so I think to the people that have graduated and they've been disheartened and beaten down, just be proud of yourself for trying. Because it's so easy to destroy and it's so hard to create. They made the effort. Yeah, they made the effort. And, like, decide who you want to take feedback from. Find people you respect or whose opinions you like or people who understand your intentions and then gravitate towards them because they're going to be honest with you. But, like, 
the internet isn't always honest. Like someone could be working through their anger, their jealousy, just out on, you know, taking it out on some artist. But it's, I mean, it's really sad. And it's really sad because you kind of, nowadays, the internet seems like one of the best tools to be seen. But it's also a really hard place to put yourself out there because it's so anonymous. Mm -hmm. Do you think it's important to set boundaries with your audience? Is there any situation where in which you wanted to say something, but you realized this is too much to say to my audience? Oh, interesting. I thought you were talking about boundaries, like the way that I don't read any direct messages on my social media. (laughs) But you're saying more like, what do I want to tell? And what do I decide not to tell? Both ways kind of work, I guess. I mean, it's definitely important to respect the people in my life and that I don't write their stories right. and that I'm writing my story. So that's a big reason why I write so much about myself because even when I do want to write about other people, I don't know how appropriate it is or how <laughs> they would feel about it. Um, and I also think it's really important to write stories that transform your pain so that people can read it and they might be able to see themselves but that you don't want to like take your pain and make it someone else's pain it doesn't have to end like the story doesn't have to end in like butterflies and rainbows but I think to say there's some expressions like you want to show people like your scars not your like open wounds and so when I write a lot of times if I'm feeling terrible writing makes me feel better but if I'm still in like a sort of depressed state or just don't feel great, I can I can write really emotional work. But I always try to edit it when I'm happy so <laughs> that I can like gauge whether or not it's appropriate or a cry for help or something right. that'll help other people or something I just feel compelled to say because it feels like I'm losing my mind and you know like it that's that part's really hard cuz there are boundaries of like like oversharing is a thing. Definitely. Because if you're not sharing at all, you're not being vulnerable, but you can like invert your vulnerability and turn it into like aggression. It's like its own kind of armor. It's like when you meet someone on a Greyhound bus. That's like, (laughs) my whole family is falling apart and, you know. It's like, whoa. Yeah, like, whoa, 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 whoa. Mm -hmm. Instead of like, hey, how's your day? And it's like, you know, kind of tough. I went to see my daughter and I hadn't seen her in a while. And you can be like, oh, okay, yeah, that's how I feel about, you know, my cousins. We used to be close and now we're, like, it's like a... You have to strike a balance. Yeah, you kind of have to, like, chum the waters a little bit for, like, you don't want to scare people so much. Like, you want to, like, coax coax people out. And I think it's really hard to do with emotional comics because I don't know, it's difficult to know what's too much and... Mm-hmm. what isn't but yeah I think that's really important in sharing think about people's privacy and think about what kind of burden you're going to put on your own reader and I think today there's so much like cynicism and negativity that just murks around the internet just kind of like a like a fog and I think like <laughs> one thing that's interesting in your comics is that you like you explore those feelings but like I often feel like there's like a positivity or a silver lining to the negative things you're experiencing. Like mm-hmm. there's a there's a emotional arc within every story, even if it's negative. Yeah, I think emotional arc's really important because some work is like my favorite kind of party 
a party I don't go to. And it's like, I I relate to that, but also what am I supposed to do with that? Like, I feel right. like I've just been given a mess. And then I'm like, <laughs> oh, I feel worse having read this. <laughs> like, I hope my art makes people feel better, but I hope it makes them think about things, but in like a gentle way. Right. You want to guide them to what you're feeling and the what you've experienced rather than force them. Yeah. And really what I'm doing is like saying, hey, these are all the ways that I feel. That's it. Like, this is how I feel. And then people just respond. And they're like, I feel this way too. And I'm like, whoa. <laughs> cool. But, you know, all I'm doing is trusting that if something's interesting to me, it might be interesting to other people. If something's painful to me, it might be painful to other people. Like, I'm just telling a story. There's not really an agenda. It's just, it's like writing a story to myself. Mm-hmm. That Just being. Mm-hmm. That I'm, like, you know, brave enough to let other people read. Mm-hmm. And I think some of that makes for really powerful art. That kind of idea is just, like, it feels like it's made in someone's basement and everyone <laughs> gets to see it. Like, it's not polished or crowd tested right or it's raw yeah know? and it's not uh analyzed to see how many franchised characters <laughs> can be turned into plushies or whatever and once again like you know no shame love a good <laughs> love a good plush toy but i think just telling a story that i can't help but tell is what makes it powerful have you met any other people or peers or fellow artists that you really admire them for pursuing the same kind of dedication to their self and their feelings? Mm. Like who who has inspired you on your artistic journey? I would say like now I'm a little further along on the journey. So I've been making more friends in that are in comics as well. Like I really like Joshua Barkman. He, he does false knees. I love his stuff. Uh-huh. Amazing. Yeah, we're going to – I just proposed, like, a teaching workshop and a comic event in Montreal that we'll teach together. And then my friend Jess Thomas, she makes bird strips. And then Chris Grady, he does Lunar Baboon. Yeah, I think I've seen that. Mm-hmm. So just being able to talk to them, like, over a sandwich and be like, <laughs> Internet man, eat your brain, right? And they're like, yep, yep, yep. <laughs> You know, oh, sometimes this happens, sometimes this happens. But I would say the first, I mean, definitely the first artist that I met was um, Nicholas Gerwich of the Perry Bible Fellowship. Mm-hmm. And he used to live in Rochester. And that's like when I first found comics. And then I would just like climb up his fire escape and bang on his window and be like, <laughs> hey, you know, I brought you an old croissant from the coffee shop. Like, look <laughs> at my work. And he'd be like, oh. Uh, okay, like, <laughs> come on in. And we would make art. And, yeah, that was definitely, like, the first working artist that I interacted with in a way that let me see being friends with him sort of altered my perception of what I thought it meant to be an artist. And I saw one of these questions, and it was like, what was college like for you? It's like, <laughs> college was okay. It was, I mean, I really liked it, but in retrospect, I didn't work that hard. I drank a lot and judged a lot of people and then (laughs) wanted to be an artist. So I would like, 
I don't know, pull all-nighters even though I wasn't getting anything done. And I thought, like, adventure was synonymous with being extreme. Right. So I was like, oh, I got to stay up all night or, like, I got to you know, walk around the cemetery even though it's kind of scary. I got to drive out west. I got to have a car that breaks down all the time. Like, I got to wear the same coat from a thrift store for a year. <laughs> like, all these weird things. And then when I met Nick, he was like, oh, hey. You know, I'm like, you working today? And he's like, yep, just, you know, making a smoothie. And I was like, what? Like, you know, where's all the fame and the glory and, like, what is this? And he was just like, you know, I just sketch on napkins and paper boxes and <laughs> sell originals. And I was like, wow, this is so cool. I remember when I first met him, he told the internet that to finish this book he'd been working on, he really wanted cookies. And so people, <laughs> like, sent a bunch of cookies in the mail. And then, like, a few weeks later, he's like, man, I really wish I'd asked for fruit or something. Like, these <laughs> cookies are really slowing me down. But I guess I just saw... Like, being an artist means going to sleep, waking up, screaming about your ideas, drawing <laughs> them, working through them, working on it again. Like Embracing you know, the em- mundane. Yeah, embracing everyday. it, doing some yoga so your neck doesn't crinkle up like a cheese curl. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is cool. This is really cool. Like, I felt like in art school, a lot of my teachers were focused on the right type of art supply or the right type of reference work or reference material. And I would be like, when I first met Nick, I remember being like, what is the most difficult part of being an artist? And he was like, Jackie, what is this? Like, you got a questionnaire? Like, what are you talking about? And I was like, um, I, I, I don't know. My aunt told me to ask you these. And he's like, get rid of these. Like, just get out your pencil and some paper and make some art. And I was like, so you just got to make a lot of art I like that people are looking for a magic formula but a lot of it's just really hard work I think a lot of people ask the same question over and over again hoping for a different answer like Like, which being yeah like I feel like in college I'd be like how do I do this and they'd be like you need a Winsor Newton series 7 brush that's how you be a good (laughs) painter and then the next professor I ask how do I do it and they're like you got to buy this book called The Business of Illustration. And then I would be like, Nick, how do I how do I do it? And he'd just be like, you work really hard. And I'd be like, yeah, but like how? And he's like, <laughs> hard work. And it's like, okay, but like what's the other stuff? And then that, like that was the answer. Like, and, and also like, I don't have the answers. You just have to figure it out. You I think find in, it in the act of doing. Yeah, because I think in college you're kind of like, I imagine professors are paid to have the answers. What do you mean? Like, you're teaching, right? And right. so it's like you have to pretend that you have at least some answers in your, like, little velvet pouch. An air of confidence. <laughs> yeah, like, okay, well, if you need to, you know, if you do this, then this will happen. But I think life is just so messy. There's no guarantee. And, I mean, even the answer hard work is, like, I mean, you could probably work really hard for a long time and still get nowhere if what you're working on doesn't work for other people, you know, but it's like, but it's scary to, I guess, know the truth. That's like, I don't know. I don't know why it succeeds. I don't know. I think it's, it's both equally scary, but also liberating. It is. Because it's like, I just got to keep doing it. Uh You know, I just got to keep trying and trying and trying. And then hopefully 
it works. Totally. And, I mean, that's the tricky part, though, right? Like, how long do you hold out? When do you follow an instinct for a thing? And when do you, like, that's, it's so hard. And, I mean, I look at other people now trying to find a style or a voice, and I'm like, ooh, glad I don't have to do that. (laughs) Now I can kind of get, I can dig deeper and deeper into what I'm making. I think a lot of people get stuck in this esoteric idea of a style, you know. That oh, like, yeah. I need to have a style or I'm trying to figure out my style. And I think one of my professors mentioned, like, you don't have a style. That comes when you're, like, 20 years from now and you, like, look back at all of your work, you know. Definitely. And I, I think in addition to looking for a style, I think a lot of people, they – they're like imitating something and it's totally cool to imitate like that's how you learn a lot of stuff but it's like it's more like looking for what is trendy and then imitating that but like the trend is already passed like in the moment that it's already visible to you you have to make the trends not follow them yeah ooh, i like that (laughs) that should go on like a t-shirt or a mug you know Uh (laughs) uh-huh and then that becomes a trend and you're like, eh, eh, I've become see? the very thing I've sworn <laughs> to destroy. <laughs> you mentioned that during college that you weren't as much focused on your work and more of just, you know, generally having fun and just the idea of being an artist. Mm-hmm. How did you get into the rhythm of truly being an artist and that journey into a dedication towards hard work and your craft, honing your craft? Ooh, I like that question. Um, Yeah, in college, I mean, I definitely, like, completed the assignments, and I guess that was about it. I I completed the assignments. In college, I spent a lot of time, like, kind of laying the foundation for being a hard worker now because I did meet a lot of really smart people or, like, really thoughtful people. And I just remember spending so much of college, like, wandering through a a graveyard in the middle of the night, like, talking about what life means. And so I wasn't making art, but I was definitely, like, trying to synthesize some information in my brain. Because I'm tempted to be like, college, oh, I blew it. I just wasted all my time. (laughs) Like, gosh, Jackie, you sure did suck. Um, Yeah, I just, I, like, rolled my eyes at adults, for most of college, like, oh, look at these dorks, and they think they're so cool, and what do they know? I just thought I knew everything. And then I graduated college, oh, and, like, my source of greatest shame is that I, like, didn't want to look at other art because I thought it would um, corrupt the purity of my own art. Wow. But really, I just made <laughs> terrible art. Yeah, it's super embarrassing. Um, but after college, that's where I met Pat. My husband and the purple guy, the mm-hmm. tired purple one from the comic, in illustration school at Syracuse. Then we were both in the same boat, just being like, we're artists, but what does it mean? Like, I don't know. <laughs> and then we moved to Austin, Texas, and in my, like, 86 Volvo, and we put all our stuff in there. And for some reason, Pat brought, like, one of those old TVs one of those really old big TVs and it took up like a third of the room in the car and then we got to Texas and there were just those TVs like on every street corner and I was like 
I sacrificed a lot of things for this TV. That <laughs> 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 didn't matter. But we just had, like, Pat worked in screen printing, and then I worked in coffee shops. And the whole time I kind of had a – I had, had, like, a sketchbook sort of and wrote in a diary and – but I just still didn't make that much art. I, like, drank a lot in Texas, too. Um, and I think a real entryway for a lot of artists is to make presents for other people. And I spent a lot of my time making, like, birthday cards and wedding cake toppers and things like that. Because if it's a gift, then you can't really criticize it. Right. So I think I, I took shelter in that for many years and... I did some editorial work, but mostly I just looked at other artists and was like, ugh, how's that guy so famous? Like, stuff isn't even good. Like, just kind of being a Grinch, and I don't know. I just didn't want to focus on myself. I didn't really want to see myself because I didn't want to admit the place that I was because I was nowhere. And I was like, man, this really sucks. Like, I want to be up here, but I feel like I'm over here, and... After we lived in Texas for a few years, we moved to Rochester. And then in Rochester, I still hated everything I made. But I said that I would draw for 15 hours a week, no matter what. And then the 15 hours really helped me feel like I was getting something done. Because even if I hated it, it was an accomplishment. Instead of being like, this week I'm going to make something good. It's like, this week we're only making stuff that's bad. <laughs> but it was for 15 hours, so, hey, that's good. Like, it was like a way to scaffold or, like, to protect myself from myself because mm-hmm. I hated everything that I made. Well, I guess I kind of always liked the googly eyes and stuff, but I just didn't know, like, what the heck I was making or what the story was. And the a lot purpose of, and the, the intent. The purpose and, like... I just wrote about people that worked in cubicles and what kind of person would order an Americano and, (laughs) you know, like weird, you know, billy goats that cook bacon. Like, I don't even know, like, what what I was drawing. And a lot of it was, like, bubble letters, too, because I was just like, I can't draw anymore, but I got to do 15 hours. Like, I have to sit here. And I think that is where I sort of learned the discipline of... Like, I think with creative work, it's really tempting to think, oh, I worked all day. And it's like, okay, how long did you really work? Right. Do you work for 45 minutes? And then after the hour thing, I started having, like, a timer because I worked a bunch in a coffee shop. And then I just wanted to time and see how long. Oh, I heard some Malcolm Gladwell thing that was like, if you work for 10,000 hours, like, you'll be an expert. And I was like, I'm going to prove this, you know. I want to see what happens after that. And so I kept a timer for, like, a few years, and I'd be like, whoa, I worked, you know, a 1,000 hours this year or something like that. But there's just different techniques for everybody. But just being honest with myself and recognizing that I wanted to be an artist more than I wanted to actually make the art was the first step in paradoxically becoming an artist. Mm. Do you think it was valuable that you went through this, you know, this kind of roundabout way of, like, coming back to the, the purpose of making art? Do you think, like, do you look back of this kind of, like, era fondly? Like, do you think it influences you? Oh, I mean, I think, it, I think it gives me a lot to write about. 
because I'll wake up in like a cold sweat and be like, ooh, I can't believe I said that to that person. That was awful. But it does. It gives me all these stories that I haven't told yet. Like I worked at a gelato shop and it was terrible. And I wrote a, I worked at a carnival like selling funnel cakes and then this van picked me up and I rode on the deep fryer because the deep fryer had my seat. Like just things that are like, I thought this and now I thought this. And I think it's totally valuable to, you know, experience the disappointment of your own life. And I still do, but I've learned enough skills to make art about it. So then no matter what I'm disappointed about, I can turn it into something beautiful. But for a long time, I didn't know how to do that. And it just made me really angry and sad. It's hard because everyone's path is different. And so I definitely look at some people and I'm like, oh, they're so young and so successful. Like, dang, I really missed the boat. But I just try to trust that my art wouldn't be what it is without 10 years of wandering. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't want to grant people permission to just work at Jimmy John's and eat double fudge sundaes for a whole summer and tell them that they'll be a great artist, but also just trust that you'll find the story that you're looking for if you live life and then you work really hard. I don't, you know, it's tough because you don't want to be like, yeah, you know, get out of college and be delusional. That'll, that'll really help you make good art 10 years later, but be honest to yourself. Be honest to your work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's hard because, you know, I think some people grow up and they're celebrated for their art for a long time. And then it's like you can't, you feel like you'll never overcome the shadow of who you thought you were. Or you think you're nothing. Like art is just, it's just so hard. And there's no, you know, every path someone goes on, the door closes behind it. And so you look at them on it and you're like, oh. I want to do that. But you can't do that exact thing. You have to do something else. And so when do you stop looking at other people and start looking at yourself? Mm -hmm. Do you think that's a valuable thing for not just artists but for all people to do? Just follow your own path? I think so. I mean, you know, you don't want, like, chaos on this earth. <laughs> like, you got to drive on the right side of the road if you're in the States. But... I th I th you know, for, our, for our European listeners out <laughs> right, there. Right. Uh, yeah, you didn't hear from me. Um, but I think it is really important to, like, be on your own path, no matter what it is. Even if it's, like, being an accountant and it seemingly has a prescribed path. Like, it's still different. And I think if everyone listened more to what they wanted, maybe people would be happier. I don't know. They're, they would find their joy. Yeah, but then I got to turn it back into I statements so that I'm not <laughs> preaching to other people. But, like, I, the more I accept who I am, the more, like, present I can be to other people in my life. And I think accepting who I am really began with being honest and looking at who I am, even if that was uncomfortable. Because for a long time I just wanted to look at other people and judge them and justify why my life was better. Like, oh, that person, I don't know, that person does this. Like, good thing I'm not that. 
But then it's like, I'm not really like looking at myself. I'm not growing as a person if I'm just like comparing and putting other people down. Let's jump right in. What does your day-to-day as a comic artist look like? Ooh. Uh, Well, my husband, Pat, is a primary school art teacher, so he has, like, a real commute. So he wakes up at, like, 6, 5 or 6, depending, and then he'll take a shower, and I make breakfast, and then we eat breakfast. And then as he leaves for work, I put my shoes on. Oh, and I've gotten dressed at this point because sometimes I used to like not get dressed for like a whole day and then feel <laughs> terrible. I've gotten dressed and then I commute to work, which is just walking around a block, depending. I have four choices because I live on the corner of four blocks. And then I walk all around the way, around the block, and I think about what I want to do today. And then I come back to my studio, and it's kind of embarrassing, but I put on a mini backpack that has a camelback inside of it which is like a water hydration system. And then I just drink water through this tube like I'm a big gerbil all day because sometimes I get so into my work I don't have time to like extend my arm and lift a glass of water. So I just want right. to like You're glued to it. suckle while I'm thinking. <laughs> um, and I listen to like ambient music on my headphones. And right now I'm really into setting 90-minute timers. And so – For 90 minutes, I'll be like, okay, I'm going to work on this comic. Because I've definitely worked something to death for, like, 10 hours and forgotten to do all the tasks that I needed to do. But I'm still working out a system. I think some artists are like, from 8 to 10, I do this, and then 10 to noon, I do this. It's like every day is a little different depending on what task I'm trying to avoid and what task is looking easier (laughs) that day. But I just try to draw every day, answer emails. Sometimes I have to pack orders. And I've recently gotten into doing yoga because last year I worked so much that I got shingles. Really? Uh-huh. I had shingles for all of March, so it's almost <laughs> my shingles anniversary. <laughs> and, yeah, ever since then I've been trying to, like, exercise and take breaks and look at things more than two feet away from me for a whole day. Mm-hmm. And then Pat will come home from work, and he makes art too, so sometimes we make art together. And then, I don't know, I just like to make giant vats of soup for my friends and bike around and go to coffee shops and stuff. When you finish up a comic mm-hmm. that's in front of you and, you're po- and you post it online, what, what goes through your head when, you're, when it's out of your hands and it's no longer yours? Like, what, how do you see your work? It makes me excited to, like, have taken a comic all the way from the incubation process to its uh, metaphorical birth onto the Internet. <laughs> And, you know, now I think before I used to kind of, like, look to see what people were saying about it. But, like, one of the best days for me is if I can post a comic on the Internet, double check, make sure it's in the right order. And, like, you know, maybe give it a few minutes make sure I didn't do anything terribly offensive that someone is calling <laughs> me out on. And then I don't look at it for a whole day. And it is so satisfying. But I love putting my work online and having so many people see it but yeah the best day for me is when I just I like take a breath nice Jackie cool and then (laughs) I just keep writing are you working on any projects right now any long form things that you could talk about Mm, uh, I don't know if I can talk about them yet okay but I am 
excited to be implementing a new production schedule next week, actually. I'm going to try and make three comics a week for six months. Wow. Because I, <laughs> weirdly, my my output fills into the time that I have. Like, if I'm like, oh, I got a whole week to make a comic, then it takes me a whole week. But mm-hmm. if I'm like, I have a day to make a comic, it takes me a day. And so I'm trying to find that balance, especially as I run a business. Sometimes I can get caught up with the business side of it, and then it makes me depressed that I haven't drawn anything. Mm-hmm. So I want to do three comics a week, see if they're good, see if they're bad, explore more ideas, and see where it goes. It's ambitious, and I'm on the fence between telling people and not telling people, because then I'm like, if I tell people, <laughs> does it make it real? But if I fail, what happens? And I don't know, but I think it could be cool. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing what you have in store the next couple of months. Jackie, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast. Is there anywhere people can find your work online? Oh, uh, well, thanks so much for having me. This was great. And, yeah, I have a website. It's underpantsnoverbites.com, but it's a source of shame at the moment. <laughs> so I'm actually meeting with a person next week, and it just directs you to my Instagram. So I guess check out my Instagram, which is just underpants and overbites. All right. Thank you. Oh, and my Patreon if you want to see more comics. <laughs> <laughs> no no shame in plugging <laughs> Patreon. We we all got to make a living. Thank you again for coming on. Thank you, Clayton, for sitting in the booth with us as our audio engineer and moral support. Hello. Uh, you can find my work at Ted Ryan Art on Instagram. I changed my username last night for branding reasons. So find Sweet. comics and other stuff I do there. Uh, check out our other, podca- other podcast. You have to watch this. We should have a new episode out soon. And thank you for listening. Goodbye. Bye.